welcome to the Rural Revival Podcast. I'm your host, Dana Larson, and we are back for season five. And wow, what an incredible five years it has been. I'm so glad to have you with us today. We have an incredible interview to kick off the year with Josh Smith of Montana Knife Company and Josh Smith Knives in Frenchtown, Montana. Josh started making knives at age 11 and went on to become the youngest journeyman smith and youngest master smith. Fast forward to two years ago and a meeting with country artist Thomas Rhett, where he got the push he needed to quit his job and go all in with this business. And from there, it exploded practically overnight. He's sharing how he organically grew the company, why American Made Matters, what sets MKC apart as a knife company, and so much more. Before we get started, I want you to get to the next level in your business this year and I'm offering a limited number of one-on-one strategy sessions to help you get there. These sessions are candid, open conversations that allow you to ask me questions and discuss the topics you want to focus on during our time together. We'll put together a plan specifically tailored for you and your dreams to help you get where you want to go this year. You can book as an individual or as a local community group. I would love to work with you. Send me an email, DM, or go to ruralrevival.co slash strategic planning for more info. And while you're there, check out our brand new website, which we kicked off at the beginning of the year. And now here we go with Josh Smith. All right. We're here with Josh Smith of Montana Knife Company in Frenchtown, Montana. Josh, thanks for being on the podcast. Yeah, thanks for coming out. Well, tell us a little bit about your background. Did you grow up here in Frenchtown? Uh, I grew up actually in Lincoln, which is about two hours east of here, a small town, kind of on the edge of the Bob Marshall Wilderness. It's kind of in between three big towns. It was was about an hour, hour and a half drive to anywhere that had a Costco or a Walmart or something like that. So, yeah, small town. I moved here um, in 2002. Uh, when I was like 21. So just down the road from where I grew up. Very cool. Tell us a little bit about your story leading up to Montana Knife Company. You've had quite a journey, a very cool journey as a silversmith. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, uh, I, I grew up in Lincoln. I started making knives actually when I was 11. My little league baseball coach started teaching me um, at the same time, I, you know, I grew up in the excavation world. My, my parents owned an excavation business. So, um, started making knives when I was 11 and then I kind of, uh, you know, just give you kind of the highlights of it. Basically, I, I kind of went after it pretty, pretty hard right off the bat as a kid. So I had a lawn mowing business. I took my lawn mowing money and I used that to buy knife grinders and equipment for my shop. Um, set up a shop at my dad's house, my mom and dad's and, uh, kind of just went after it. And then when I was 15, I became the youngest journeyman knife maker in the world. And then when I was 19, I became the youngest master smith. So, um, yeah, I kind of went fast through the knife making world. And then, um, honestly, I, I, I went full-time making knives, uh, after I got married when I was 21. And I did that for about nine years or so full-time. Um, when the economy of 08, 09 kind of crash stuff was happening. I wasn't sure I had four young kids and I was a little uncertain of the way I was running my business, making one high end knife at a time. It was easy to teeter on the edge of being broke all the time, if not just fully broke. Uh, 
so I got a job uh, working at the local power company. Um, I, I got a job operating uh, backhoe on the gas side. I was going to become a welder, but I quickly realized that everybody in there was uh, on the electric side was old. And so I knew there was going to be opportunity there. So I switched over and I became a lineman for the power company. I, I uh, got an apprenticeship and then became a journeyman lineman. Did that for a while. So um, I never quit making knives, but it was qu quite hard. In that time period, I got a divorce and my house burnt down and a bunch of stuff. It was kind of crazy. Um, but when I got remarried, um, my new wife, Jess, back in 2001 or so, or uh, 2021, I was telling her, no, 2020, 2019, right in that time frame, I was telling her this idea of this company that I wanted to build called Montana Knife Company. And she was like, well, you should quit your job and do that. And so I didn't exactly quit right then, but I started working towards doing what I'm doing now. And it's, uh, yeah, it's kind of taken off. Yeah. So once you decided to go for it in 2020, right around there, where yeah. did you start? Well, you know, I was telling her about it. And then in 2019, I started kind of making some prototypes and, um, I went to a really cool event in the, in February of 2020. And I, and I took some, at that point I had some prototypes done. And so I took these prototype knives to this event and it was a real game changer because what was really cool about it, it was called winter strong. And it was actually put on by a guy who owns a weightlifting company and they make all the weightlifting equipment for, you know, pro professional teams and college teams and whatever. But he's also a big hunter and, um, you know, in the outdoor world. And, uh, so I took those knives there and I was showing people like, Hey, these are these knives. I want to build this company. And I was telling them my idea. And it was the first time I was around a group of people that were all that accomplished and were also that like, um, encouraging, like they were all just like, we got your back. You should do it. Go for it. And I was around people from all different industries. That event's really cool. Cause it's, people from the fitness world, from the outdoor world, from the business community, like a mix of just people who have all become successful in one way or another. And it was super inspiring. And it also felt, you know, a lot of times in a small town, it's hard because um, small towns are amazing, but a lot of times you have small town thought as well. And it's hard to think that you can like grow a huge brand or become somebody big in the, in the world or whatever in your own little tiny town. And I was around people that had all done it. And a lot of them were from small towns, small places. And none of them were really, I thought that different than me. They just kind of just went after it. And so I came home from there super motivated. And, but we were also diving at that point. That was February of 2020. We were diving right into COVID. And honestly, I kind of, I talked to my wife about it and back in the 09, 2010 timeframe, if you listen to the news too much, we were headed into a depression and the world was going to end. And I kind of ran a little bit from my path at that point to avoid what I thought might be best for my family, the economy and the world. And this time with COVID, I was just like, I am a hundred percent ignoring the news. I'm just going to yeah. do my thing. Like it doesn't exist. And um, I came home from that and all the way through COVID of 2020, I just kind of like started building my plan. Uh, I met my, my business partner, I actually hired him to take some photos and everything I asked him to build a website and stuff like that. 
he was really good, but I couldn't afford to hire him to do as much as I needed done. So I told my wife, I said, the only way this is going to grow is if I have the marketing side match the knife side. So I offered him ownership in the company of which there really wasn't a company. It was barely a website. And I, I offered him a fairly substantial amount of the company because I, I, it actually surprised him as to how much, but I said, I want you all in. Like, mm -hmm. I want you to, like, if this goes big, then you're going to benefit as well, mm -hmm. you know? And um, so he jumped all in and quite honestly, he quit his job. He was building a marketing business on the side, his own side gig. And uh, he was about, he quit his job to run his own marketing business. But then MKC started taking off so much, he ended up like kind of letting that go. And uh, I ended up finally quitting my job December 30th of 2020 to go full-time on what we're doing now. Wow. So what was that year like? I mean, that's a pretty big step to go from starting to being able to quit your job by the end of the calendar year. Yeah, it was it was exciting, but it was also, like, when I quit my job, it was pretty terrifying. I mean, quite yeah. honestly, I had, I had a lunch scheduled, my wife and I, with uh, Thomas Rhett down in, in Big Sky, he wanted to have lunch. And, you know, you don't know what kind of things come from those opportunities. And I was out of vacation days. And I was asked, I worked for a corporation. I was asking for the last day of the year, December 31st off. And they're like, well, you're out of vacation. And I'm like, yeah, well, my vacation starts over the next day. Yeah. Like, we can figure this out, right? And no one's hardly working between Christmas and New Year's anyway. And it was just a hard no. And I, I made sure, I was like, you guys better be sure on this. And I, I gave him another opportunity. And finally, December 30th, I walked in that morning and I said, did you figure out tomorrow or not? And he was like, no, you're out of vacation. And I'm like, all right, well, I'll be done at noon then. And I went and finished the job I was doing and I quit at noon that day and went to that meeting down there in Big Sky, of which, frankly, nothing came from it. You know, with Thomas, he was a nice guy and we had a good conversation, but it really was like the thing that just needed to push me over the edge. But mm -hmm. it was all, like driving home from that decision was pretty terrifying because it, it's it's also this feeling of selfishness, selfishness because um, I was making good money. I had benefits, retirement, like everything that everybody kind of wants at that job to quit for like the complete unknown. And I didn't take a paycheck in the MKC for, you know, the next four or five months after that. Neither, you know, my business partner, Brandon, nor I did. We were paying a couple employees to help, but we weren't getting paid. But it was just kind of that, like, you have to, at some point, you have to push all your chips in mm -hmm. center of the table. And once we did that, then things just launched. Wow. Yeah. And you were obviously catching people's eye. Yeah. Yeah. It was, uh, I'm not quite sure, like when we went to, we launched our website the night before the Total Archery Challenge in July that year. And I went to that Total Archery Challenge. It's an event where guys, you know, shoot bows, have targets, and um, you shoot a bunch of bows. And it's a really good time, but not a soul knew me. And um, I just walked around introducing myself, showing people my knives. And honestly, it was just like every single day just working at that and getting our knives in front of more and more people, networking. And honestly, a lot of it too was people from like that Winter Strong event and people like that were sharing our stuff on Instagram and just encouraging us for no payment, no, you know, it wasn't like an influencer thing where we were paying, like people just grassroots like, hey, this these guys are doing something kind of cool, we're supporting them. 
and that's really how it grew, mm-hmm. just super organic. What's wild about that is two years later, this year, this July, it was two years, um, you know, I was the guest speaker at two of those total archery challenges. The first two I went to, I was um, spoke on the live stage in Park City, and then I was Black Rifle Coffee's guest speaker at their fundraiser event in Big Sky. So it's amazing how fast things change, you know. Mm-hmm. What's neat is you've spent a lifetime working on a craft. Mm-hmm. But now this brand has taken off. And tell us about the mindset that that took because there's just a lot of years that go by when this is just what you love to do, maybe without seeing great reward. Yeah. Honestly, and that's it's a good question because it felt a lot like when I first started making knives. Because just because you make, you know, one knife at a time doesn't mean... You, you know, you know how to mass produce them. I mean, it's an entirely different thing. And, um, it's a lot of the reason why I didn't launch this company before. I mean, I registered this name with the state of Montana when I was 19, Wow! but I didn't launch it till I was 39. And I knew in my twenties, um, I just didn't have the experience to do it. I didn't have the business knowledge. I didn't have, and I didn't have the money. I had young kids. I knew in my early thirties, you know, like I said, I got divorced. Like I knew personal life wasn't right. I knew my kids were young. I, again, it's paycheck to paycheck. So frankly, I kind of knew I had to take the day job that I took to get to the point where I got down the road. Like I, I had to do the one thing to get in a, a stable position to where I could launch the next thing. Um, if I would have tried to launch this in my 20s or early 30s, it wouldn't have worked. Um, I think a lot of that's just maturity and also just understanding you know, relationships better and how to build a brand. And so I I think that's what a lot of people need to realize is they see like a brand like ours kind of explode and it seems like it's overnight, but it's like, it's it's been brewing in my head since I was 19. Um, but the exciting part about this has, has also been that newness, right? Like when I started making knives when I was 11, it was exciting. Um, launching this and doing what we're doing now is super exciting you know building the new building and bringing in cnc machines that frankly i don't know how to turn on it's like that unknown is super exciting and it's also what like drives you every day because there's so much i don't know that um i i think it's just that feeling of of accomplishing a task every day and frankly it's like that old saying that how do you eat an elephant it's one bite at a time i mean that's frankly what it is because every single day we're, we're, we're buried and it's, it's sometimes hard to know how to focus on which problem you tackle, but you just got to go after one thing at a time, you know? Yeah, absolutely. So you actually have two brands now. You have Montana Knife Company and you have Josh Smith Knives. What right. differentiates the two? Yeah, the reason I did that is, is when someone buys a Josh Smith Knives, that that's a fully custom knife that they know that I made start to finish. And I didn't want it to be misleading. I could have easily launched this whole brand as Josh Smith knives, but, um, I, I I think it's also somewhat hard though, not impossible. You know, there's, you know, a lot of brands we know out there that are someone's name, but I think it's easier for a brand to grow when it's less attached to a single person. It's also hard to sell a brand that's attached so heavily to a single person. Not that I want to sell our brand, but um, it would also be misleading because if all of a sudden I went from making $5,000 high-end artwork to $300 knives that were 
maybe laser cut or CNC milled and assembled by someone other than me, it would be kind of untruthful. People would think maybe they're buying one of my knives and there wouldn't be that separation. So um, I always knew I needed to have two separate brands. And so the Josh Smith knives is just frankly, it's my, it's me, it's my Instagram. I'm not very busy with that stuff because I'm, I'm so busy with MKC. I'm just not really doing much on the custom side right now, even though I will, I love making custom knives, but, um, it's more for my Instagram. If I want to put up pictures of my family or my opinion on the topic of the day, I'm not going to do that on a business website, you know, but People also get a chance to see like what the owner of this company is all about. You know, if you follow a company, you kind of like to know what the founders believe or what they think. Yeah. So you've created a, a great authentic brand. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What sets your, you obviously have a great product. Um, right. What sets your product and your company apart from other knife companies? Yeah, I think uh, there's a few things with with being a custom knife maker so long. There's there's very few. I'll be honest with you, I can't really think of any right now major knife brands out there that have a CEO that makes knives. Mm -hmm. So you have business owners um, that don't necessarily know how to make the product that they're selling. Um, that doesn't necessarily mean that it can't work, but. You know, I, you guys saw when you showed up, I was drawing designs. I, I hand make prototypes and I, and I'll make them until I get that knife to where I think it feels really good in the hand and it feels like it fits. And then we build our computer programs off of that for our CNCs and stuff. So when you pick up one of our production knives, it feels more custom, like it was made to fit in the hand. We get that, that a lot. And then there's also a lot of stuff in the custom world around edge geometry and heat treat and a lot of stuff that's more technical with a blade. And I hear people say like, well, I, I'm terrible at sharpening knives. And it's like, well, when it's, once I see their knife, I understand, I realize like that blade's way too thick. It's way too hard. It's the wrong steel. Like you probably never really had a chance. It's like trying to make bread with the wrong ingredients. Like it's not going to turn out well. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's where we're using, I think, some more of the custom techniques and, and paying a little more attention to some of those details. Now, we're also doing that at, um, kind of at the cost of maybe higher production. You know, we, we would probably have to, there's just going to come a point where we would have to change probably our knives to produce more at a certain rate. And I'm just not going to do that. Like, I want to keep a certain quality. Um so our stuff's really high quality. The other part of it is, is, and quite frankly, people, what probably motiv motivated me the most, and, and a good friend of mine, knife maker, I won't say who he was, but his name is Mike. He told me when I told him back in 2019 what I wanted to build, he said, it's not possible. Like you have to have these made in China because you can't compete with their prices and you can't build a brand. And, you know, he was showing me stuff that was being made in China and it was actually pretty good. Um, I couldn't really argue too much with the quality, but I just refuse to believe that you, the American dream's dead. Like you can't build a brand in the U S and I think there are people out there that will pay a little bit more for an American product. And I really think with the last year or so of, you know, the shipping issues we had and all the stuff that was going on around the country, I've been proven right that 
a lot of the brands that were making stuff in the U.S. were able to keep going while there were brands with container ships after container ships of stuff stuck at sea mm -hmm. um, or stuck in a port. And their brands were literally just paralyzed by it. Um, so I, I, I think that's what sets us apart. I think it's the custom side mixed in with the production and then also just what we're about. You know, our, our motto is working knives for working people. I think people, lar I think large knife companies largely ignore working class Americans, farmers, ranchers. Like I've talked about it over and over, loggers, miners, people like my dad who are ditch diggers. You know, um, I think we kind of call out to those people and it's really what we're about. Just high quality. Our stuff's not that fancy. Like we don't do a lot of over the top stuff on our knives. They're just simple, good, hardworking knives. Like a, a lot of my friends. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right? Know, simple, hardworking people. You know your target market. Yeah. What has been your biggest measure of success? Is there any one thing? Um, I don't know. There's been different things that have happened that are really cool. I mean, for example, when I was able to have my wife quit her job and work for us, you know, it's like, oh, wow, we're starting to grow and, and our family can actually like survive on what we're making off of our company. Um, honestly though, probably the most satisfying thing is just the amount of people that share our brand and our product and show like, uh, pictures that they take on a, say a hunt in Africa or in Alaska or wherever, Missouri, it doesn't matter, but they take the time to like take a picture with, of their knife, whether it's on their animal they got or in their camp or whatever. And it means like that knife actually means so much to them that they thought to take a break out of their like trip of a lifetime to take a picture to then send it to us. Like how much product do you have on you or do you carry around like you're not sending Apple a picture of your phone. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, so that every, and, and I've said it and I don't know if people really truly understand, but like every time I get stuff like that or people will send me pictures of, they'll see our bumper sticker on somebody's truck or a sticker on a water bottle or a friend of mine texted me and he ran into somebody this weekend in Salt Lake airport with our hat on, like seeing our hat, like it's, another big deal to me is the fact that people choose to wear our gear because you're saying like, this is who I am. Mm -hmm. You know, when you put them on ten and knife company hat or shirt on to me, it's even less about the knives and more about like what we're about, you know? Absolutely. On the flip side, what's been the most challenging? Uh, just the unknown. I mean, just trying to move step by step and not, you know, I've never built a brand. I've never had employees. I've never dealt with that kind of stuff. Uh, a ton of learning, a ton of sitting up at night and researching and whether it's sourcing materials, um, learning about like all the CNC equipment we have to purchase, <clears throat> you know, stuff like that. Um, I don't really know if there is really just one thing other than just it. Honestly, again, it's just like the whole elephant. You know, it's just, and I, I think it, uh, probably the answer to that would be is the, the biggest challenge is focusing on one thing at a time, mm. mm -hmm. you know, like figuring out the task that needs answered or, or, or handled immediately, knowing that there's a wave of stuff behind it you got to deal with, but you got to deal with one thing at a time. Yeah. 
as far as employees go, what was the tipping point where you were finally like, I can't just do this by myself anymore? Well, it was when I was still f- full time as a, uh, as a lineman and I, I was, you know, working a day job. So I would just have a little bit of help like in the evenings or weekends. Um, but I also knew very early on, like employees, like I knew what I was trying to build. So I didn't really hesitate to hire help because, um, I knew I, I knew I needed it. And it was just, uh, I don't know. It was one of those things where I knew I had, I don't, I want to say like, I don't want to say this in a bad way, but I had more important things to worry about Mm -hmm. with the brand. Like once I got the assembly process down or the sharpening process down, I needed to be able to pass that off to figure out the next thing, the next process. And that's kind of a constant like thing that we're doing now is we're constantly looking like what's the next problem we figured out. And then we try to pass that on to somebody, train it and know it's in good hands and and move on to the next problem, you know? Yeah. What advice would you tell any small business owner aspiring to grow their business? Um, you, you have to be consistent. Like it's every single day, all the time, you know, there are, there are walls that you're going to hit roadblocks. Um, it's going to feel like you're in four wheel drive and all your wheels are spinning. You're not making progress. Like you just have to continue going forward every single day. You know, on the marketing side, my business partner's great about there again, it's consistency. He's posting every single day. He's constantly pushing every single day. I'm pushing every single day. Like there just can't be days off. Like, and that's, that's the challenge. I mean, quite frankly, an adjustment is the, with the family here is just like, it's seven days a week. You know, it's all the time it's getting, you're getting texts at night and emails. And the other part I'm trying to learn and figure out is like how, when, when, and how do you shut that off? You know, cause it's easy when you get an email at nine 30 at night to want to just respond. Um, which I generally do. So I'm bad about that, but, um, there's that. And then embrace the internet. I mean, people like to complain about Instagram and social media and there's plenty of bad on it, but, um, quite frankly, it's like going to a giant high school and you can look at the bad in it, or you can just think there's also a lot more people here that are probably like me. You you, you have more to choose from. And, you know, when you're in a small town, a lot of times you don't have much opportunity as far as friends to choose from or people to work with, or maybe employees to hire. But what you have is that small town work ethic um, that small town community feel like that's what we've been building as a brand is the community part. And I think, you know, we, that's something that's been kind of ingrained, ingrained in me. And from the beginning is just that small community communication, helping out your neighbor sharing. And that's what we've been doing a ton of. And, and people have been reciprocating that, but with the social media stuff, um, it's amazing. Cause back in the nineties, I used to go back and forth for weeks, if not months with people from overseas and Europe wanting a knife order. And now I can take a picture right now and post it and 10,000 people can see it by dinner. So it's such an advantage for a business. Like the excuse that you're in a small town now and can't make it is completely BS. I mean, um, the internet makes the world absolutely tiny. And I mean, we're showing it. We went from you know, 200 prototypes in 2020 
you know, to a little over 50,000 blades in production today. Like it, and that's, that's, and I'm, I live in a tiny, tiny little town. Mm -hmm. And quite frankly, it's funny because a lot of people actually don't even know about us still. If they're not on the internet, we've largely run our stuff off Instagram, Facebook. Um, I still get old guys at a basketball game. That's like, how's the, how's the lineman stuff going? it's like, I guess you haven't heard. I started a business, yeah. <laughs> you know? So if you're, if you're out on a tractor or you're doing whatever and you don't have Instagram, you probably don't know about us. And we're, we have to figure out how to market better to those people. Um, but the power of the internet is incredible. Um, it's absolutely incredible. And, uh, you know, used, I used to have to run, whether it's ads in blade magazine or hope that somebody would, some writer would hear about me and write an article, um, you know, or go to a local flea market or I used to have to travel to national shows. I traveled to five or six big shows a year, you know, Atlanta, Georgia, New York city, Paris, you know, Eugene, Oregon, like I was all over, uh, California, all over the South and Texas and Nevada. And it's a, it's a two, -ed, it's a double-edged sword. Like it's kind of a bummer shows really aren't as important anymore. Um, but you do miss that face-to-face -face contact and shaking someone's hand. Um, but quite frankly, your, the time, your time spent, your energy spent, um, man, you can reach hundreds of thousands of people on the internet every single day, millions of people, you know, and network. I used to, it used to be months, if not a year between seeing collectors or seeing knife makers. And I can be in touch with people hourly if I want to be, it's, it's, it's pretty cool. So yeah, I think it's really getting out of this uh, mentality. A lot of small town people have a mentality of, you know, well, I don't know how to do that or it's too technological for me or, you know, it's kind of like starting a podcast, right? Mm -hmm. Like, well, go find somebody to show you, yeah. you know, and quite frankly, YouTube. I mean, yeah, I grew up making knives. I had to go to people's shops. I, I'm older than the internet, which sounds weird, but it's true. <laughs> like Same. there was, there was no YouTube. Yeah. Um, you had to have someone teach you. Now you can pull up a YouTube video and learn how to buy all your podcast equipment in an evening, you know? Um, and same with starting a brand, if it's marketing videos or how to build a website or how to make knives or whatever, like it's all out there. Um, ultimately, I think it's still the best thing though is to go have face-to-face -face contact and get instruction face-to-face, -face, but it's not, it's not the only way, that's for sure. Yeah, that's so good. Well, what's next for you? I mean, you got a lot going on already, but what's next? Yeah. Uh, just building our building. Uh, quite honestly, we're building a new facility right now. Um, trying to get into that by around November 1st. And then honestly, there will be a lot of growing pains with that moving in, getting that building to work for us efficiently and figuring out how to use that space. It's a lot more space than we've got now. Um, and then the goal, frankly, is to outgrow it. I mean, that's that's the goal is to grow into the next facility. Um, this is really intended to be a stepping stone. Uh, the other, I think big challenge right now that I think a lot about is how to beat this economy with gas prices and just everything politically going on right now. And so much uncertainty, I, I would really say too, for business owners, one of the best things that you can do is just turn the news off because there's so much you can't control. And it, it will all, if you watch the news every night, it will all give you reasons. All of it will give you reasons why you shouldn't start your business or why you 
should go take that safe job or why you shouldn't quit yours. Like if you watch that stuff, it's absolute poison. And quite honestly, if the world ends and it ends, I mean, it's not going to matter what you're doing. Um, so I'm, I'm not telling people to be reckless, but you can be way too cautious and they get paid to put breaking news across that screen. Mm-hmm. And it's all, um, it's all bad news, frankly, you know? So that's one of the best things I've done since I started my business. Cause I could sit here and worry about gas prices and material prices and, you know, I, I don't totally ignore it. I try to figure out how we're going to beat it, but I don't let it make me think I can't be successful, you know. That's so good. Well, how do we follow along with you and everything that you have going on? Yeah, um, mostly Instagram. Uh, we're we're trying to be a little better about keeping up with our Facebook. Most of our stuff posts over to there. Um, our website, you know, MontanaKnifeCompany.com. Our Instagram's at MontanaKnifeCompany. You know, I personally, not to confuse things, I have my at Josh Smith Knives. Um, it's pretty obvious when you follow one or the other, you're going to see see the other one. Um, but yeah, I have a Josh Smith Knives is my uh, website. Um, and that's mostly just a gallery of kind of what I've done. Uh, maybe I'll be updating that here down the road. But yeah, just keeping up with, with us that way. I've got a podcast. I haven't dropped stuff in a while, but I'm going to start that back up later this winter just called the Josh Smith show because I'm not super creative with naming <laughs> it works <laughs> and I just trying to I, I have a cool opportunity as a regular guy to start to talk to cool people that do cool stuff so I really just started it for that reason to preserve some of the master's voices that had taught me before they got too old and maybe passed away and then honestly just have conversations with cool people yeah it's pretty fun. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, Josh, this has been great. Thank you for being on the podcast. Yeah. Well, thanks for making the drive all the way up here. It's just, just around the corner. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> Three day drive. Yeah. So yeah, no, I'm uh, excited about it and I appreciate it. I think it's great for small towns that you're highlighting people doing cool stuff. Thank you. Yeah. Well, is that an incredible story or what? Everything Josh does is done with excellence and I am so impressed with this company and everything it stands for. Something that really stood out to me is this was a business 20 plus years in the making and Josh persevered and kept going and kept building this until the timing was right to go all in. And then when he did, everything fell into place. So amazing. Josh, thank you for being so welcoming to us and thanks for being on the podcast. And thanks to you for tuning in. Have a great day, everybody. Mm